do anything wrong in this situation. He took a pitch in the back. He got beat for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers, we know it. Ask me about my win. When it comes to the New York Yankees, it looks as if they're trying to sell you more of a bill of goods that may distract you from what you've actually seen on the field over the past couple seasons and the past uh, decade plus, right? You're looking 14 years if the Yankees were lucky enough to win a World Series in 2024 that they would, it would be, what, 15 years since their last World Series championship, one of the largest droughts in the history of this beloved franchise. And a lot of it you're hearing from the spokesperson, basically the voice of the New York Yankees, which is Brian Cashman. And it, it certainly is better than hearing your annual report from Randy Levine, who basically seems like he's just a blabbermouth, blabbing out a bunch of bullshit that is just going to get attention. But today, or this year, it looks as if the Yankees gave Brian Cashman that task. And it looks like it's something that's important. Perhaps it's important to Hal Steinbrenner to sell perception. Perception being better than reality is good for ticket sales, right? It's good to get people in the door. Perception being better than reality is good because it, it, it sells the fans on the ability or the thought that they can win. But if you listen to Brian Cashman, he seems to be a little misguided. He's looking back at this past season, and basically with his bullying type of tactics, he's trying to sell you that 2023 wasn't a bad season. And 2023, the roster, the construction of players was not the problem. It was that they were hurt. They were injured because the Yankees were injured in 2023. That's why they didn't exceed the expectations that we have. The Yankee fan has. The Yankee fan expects the Yankees to be in the playoffs every year. That's not negotiable. That's not one of those things that, you know, they take lightly, I would think. But it's an expectation that the Yankees are in the playoffs every season. If you're in the playoffs, you got a chance. You can have a bad season and still make the playoffs. The Arizona Diamondbacks won 84 games this past year and made it to the World Series. The 2006 St. Louis Cardinals won 83 games and won the World Series. The 1973 Mets won 82 games and made it to the World Series. So wins and losses up to a certain point don't matter because of the format that you have with the playoffs today. Six teams in each league make the playoffs, which I believe is way too much. Like I said, I don't want to be all over the place with this. As it applies to the Yankees, I, I totally believe that the fan and the media right now are taking the wrath of Brian Cashman as the bully. For years, it was other Major League Baseball general managers and front office personnel. Brian, The Brian Cashman you saw or heard with the press within the last week I think that was the real Brian Cashman. Some people say, hey, maybe that wasn't him. That was him trying to jump out of character to create you know, this image of this tough guy or this bully. I think this is the person that has existed all along. This has benefited him and his ability to trade with other teams. I spoke about the Araldus Chapman trade he made with the Cincinnati Reds years ago. The Starling Castro trade he made years ago. And why those deals were both significant, because he basically bent over the other general manager and gave, gave it to him. 
said, basically, I'm taking your player for you and I'm giving you very little or anything in return. And I'm going to do that because I'm Brian Cashman and because I'm running the New York Yankees. This is the New York friggin' Yankees. We're going to do things the way that we do because it's the New York Yankees. And that's his mentality. That's the way that he conducts himself as a front office member when it comes to making trades. That's what you heard in that snidbit of him kind of you know, going a little bit rogue on the press, you know, using the word shit a couple times, dropping the F-bomb. But the bottom line is it all looks like it's a mirage. It's a perception to try to fool the Yankee fan into believing that 2024 is going to be great. And perhaps the Yankees may not have to do as much as they've had in past seasons to make you believe they can win the World Series. Like I said, if you could win 85-plus games, get into the postseason, I believe that there's a good chance you could win a World Series. So the bar isn't high. You don't have to create that all-star roster A to Z where you got great players at every single position, but you have to create enough momentum to believe that you can get through those other tough teams in your division. The Baltimore Orioles, the Tampa Bay Rays, you're talking about teams, the Toronto Blue Jays in addition. All three of those teams, what do they have in common? They, they finished ahead of the Yankees this past year. They all made the postseason while the New York Yankees didn't. The Yankees obviously are in a tough division. There's a chance that they could have a good season. They could win 85 to 87 games, and maybe because of the performance of the other teams in their own division, they could miss the playoffs. And I think that's should impact the way that they go about this offseason. My belief is the Yankees should go big again. They should go back to what's worked for years upon years, since the advent of free agency, since the Peter Seitz decision of 1975, where the Yankees are going to spend the most. They're going to go every length that they have to to bring in the best players. You know, that's uh, Yamamoto, the free agent pitcher from Japan. Go out there and spend what it takes to get him. You know, Juan Soto, you know, you're not going to trade for him for it to be a rental this year. Go out there, trade for him if you can. Once again, I don't think the Yankees necessarily are willing to part with what it would take to get Juan Soto. But the bottom line is that's what the Yankee fan needs at this point. They need that feeling that the Yankees are back to what they were years ago when they were all in all the time. In the last couple of years, you don't get the perception that they are. Now, you look at their payroll, it's obviously top five in Major League Baseball. It's not like they've stopped spending money. They've stopped adding to it. And there, there is an issue with that. Because if you're not adding to it and you're not getting any better, that only leaves the other possibility of maybe you should add more. Maybe the reason that the Yankees didn't succeed in 2023 was because they didn't spend enough money. Now, listen, they had injuries. Frankie Montas, they made an investment in, was an absolute waste. You know, Luis Severino, in and out of injuries, was not good last year. You know, Aaron Judge, obviously the Yankees with Aaron Judge and the Yankees without Aaron Judge. It was like watching two different baseball teams, but... It kind of brings you to the point where you believe that the Yankees are a little bit one-dimensional. What are the New York Yankees if Aaron Judge is not in the lineup? And you can't go into every season just assuming that Aaron Judge is going to be hurt. I don't think he's a chronically injured player, but he's a big dude, a muscular dude. And I think any player that has that type of physique is, is going to be somewhat susceptible to injury. 
So you can't be that one-dimensional. Your entire team can't be carried by Aaron Judge because if Aaron Judge is not in the lineup, you saw in the 2023 season what the New York Yankees are broken down to. So they really should be aggressive when it comes to free agency. It's interesting to see how it's going to work out because the Yankees have sold you a bill of goods over the last couple seasons. We're paying our players a lot of money, but it's not like they're going out and getting the latest difference maker. I'm wondering to see if they do that this year. Speaking of baseball and a team that I think is going in the absolute opposite direction of the New York Yankees, and we'll see. Maybe the Yankees have a disappointing offseason. Maybe what I just said was right in regards to Brian Cashman basically trying to convince you that they're going to be good and they don't have to do anything to be good. Maybe. But the Milwaukee Brewers are setting themselves up for a potential fire sale. And that's the perception of Major League Baseball. They didn't go that extra mile to give Craig Council the amount of money that he wants. They're going to have a new manager running that team. They saved some money. They saved some money having to pay Wade Miley for his option, even though Wade Miley declined his player version of the option. Mark Canna was supposed to make 11 or $13 million or something this year. They traded him to the Detroit Tigers. They're trying to save money where they possibly can. And they've let it known, like most teams, hey, if you if for the right price, you know, there isn't anybody on our roster that they we're not willing to trade. And, you know, the perception of other teams as they've looked back at this, whether it's the Dodgers, whether it's the Mets, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Giants, whatever team that's willing to take on contracts, the Phillies, then you could imagine Cubs, they're thinking, hey, what players could I pick off of this roster? Willie Adamas, Christian Yelich. Uh, Devin Williams, Corbin Burns, even to a lesser extent, Brandon Woodruff. Freddie Peralta is a good friggin' pitcher. Probably one of the more underrated top starting pitchers in Major League Baseball. So would the Brewers be willing to trade all of them for prospects and cash relief? It's got to be frustrating if you're a fan of the Milwaukee Brewers because as you follow the team over the past couple seasons, you see where the upside is. Their bullpen has been strong. It looks like they have a strong organizational structure to accentuate the importance of their relief because it's been solid. It was solid with Josh Hader, was solid after Josh Hader left. So there is a system in place there. They're starting pitchers. They, they seem to get some consistency out of them, and it's not just the Corbin Burnses of the world. So I, I believe that there's something organizationally that's allowing them to develop pitchers and put their pitchers in a position to succeed. Now, do they believe way too much in it where they say, hey, we could get rid of these pitchers and replace them with others and get similar results? Well, I think that would be a bit foolish if they believe that, but it's going to be interesting to see what the Milwaukee Brewers do this season because the feeling from other teams when it comes to Major League Baseball organizations is that the Brewers are going to trade off players. And you'll see whether these bigger market teams, as they're going to approach the Brewers, how aggressive are the Brewers going to be when it comes to trading their top players. I wanted to talk a little bit about the Indiana Pacers as it comes to the National Basketball Association. We're talking about teams that potentially could break out. You know, you look at the Eastern Conference and everybody, including myself, believes it's going to come down to Milwaukee and Boston, and why wouldn't it? Milwaukee went out there and got Damian Lillard. Boston Celtics went out there. They got themselves Drew Holiday, uh, Christoph Porzingis. 
they really look like the two strongest rosters. But I want to talk about a team that I think can really bring itself together and become a legitimate contending team in the Eastern Conference. And this is an Indiana Pacers team that didn't make the playoffs last year. This is a team led by a couple players that they acquired from the Sacramento Kings, mainly Tyrese Halberton. Bruce Brown comes over there as a free agent and really looks like he's providing some leadership. I like what they've done here. Benedict Mathern, second year dude out of Arizona, really looks like he's becoming a star. And I think he's going to be a primary scorer, but also a, a very integral part of this team. You got Miles Turner playing the center position. Obi Toppin's getting some starts for them. The former New York Knicks number one pick, first round draft pick. I think this is a team that very quietly can assert itself in the Eastern Conference. And we talk about teams each year that kind of make that jump into instant contention. It was the Sacramento Kings last year. There wasn't a lot of belief in it. You know, De'Aaron Fox is one of the stars of the NBA, absolutely their best player, but they won games early and often. And then it became a foregone conclusion they were going to be a playoff team. The Memphis Grizzlies the year before are kind of doing the opposite right now, but they they had that season where they were like, dude, look at this group of players that we got. There's too much talent on this roster to not succeed. I like Indiana. I think they are a playoff team. And I really feel like they could win a round or two in the playoffs. They could be a threat to a Boston or a Milwaukee. Obviously, the players got to grow a little bit. Mathern, I think, should be able to take that step to be an absolute star, maybe on the level of Hal Burton. I think this is a team that's ready to make that step. And one of the main reasons is Coach Rick Carlisle. And as I switch to the next team I want to talk about, it's pretty much the same reason. And I'm going to get behind them a little bit. I'm getting behind the Houston Rockets as well. And I think the Houston Rockets, led by their coach, Ime Adoka, who, who comes there, looking for another opportunity. He feels like, all right, maybe I made a mistake. I shouldn't have been dating or messing around or doing anything with a, a, another employee of the Boston Celtics. That was probably out of bounds for him. Probably something I shouldn't have done. You know, extramarital affairs, listen, they happen in the world and certainly the world that we live in today. But the issue with the doko with the Boston Celtics was that he involved himself with somebody that worked for the organization and may have used the power he had as the influential voice in the organization to get certain type of favors. And that is probably past the line a little bit. He wants to prove himself as a coach. He absolutely is a good coach. The Houston Rockets made a good decision here. They, they moved on from their coach from last year, and they have a roster that really has the combination of young players and veterans that I think they can make a little bit of a difference in the Western Conference, particularly if you're looking at the world of you know Dallas and the Lakers and the Clippers and the, the Phoenix Suns with maybe a little bit too much from a social scene going on in spite of the great talent that they have on those rosters. Maybe the players, in spite of their talent, make it more about them than it does the team. I think a team like the Houston Rockets could slip in and be a legitimate contender this year. I like the move they made for Fred Van Fleet. Um, you look at guys like Aaron Holiday and Jeff Green coming off the bench. I really think that these are veteran type of players 
that can make a difference. You obviously got Jabari Smith. You got Jalen Green. Dylan Brooks, who they got over from the Memphis Grizzlies. I don't really like Dylan Brooks as a person. You know, as a, you know, the persona about him doesn't rub me in the right way, but I know he's good. I know he's a good defender. I know he could absolutely make a team better. And there is a reason that the Houston Rockets are off to a good start and the Memphis Grizzlies are not. And I think Dylan Brooks does have that it type of factor. But I look at the coach of the Houston Rockets, his ability to work with the, the veteran players that are in that locker room and mix it with the young talent. I think the Houston Rockets are going to be a good team this year. I would be remiss if I didn't spend a couple seconds talking about the Minnesota Timberwolves, who I believe were just a bad start away from using their coach as a scapegoat. Chris Finch has been there, what, two plus seasons. Um, maybe they've underachieved with the amount of talent that they've had there, but I'm sure they're looking, hey, let me throw a lifeline in there. We fired a coach. Maybe it'll get a little jump out of the players. That hasn't happened. They have a very strong starting lineup. If you look at Anthony Edwards and Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns, Mike Conley, Jaden McDaniels. The only issue that I have with this squad is I don't see a ton of depth. I know Kyle Anderson's going to play mad minutes. Naz Reed's averaging almost 14 points a game. But you look at the depth outside of that. Shake Milton, Troy Brown. Guys that on other teams have gotten a lot more minutes, haven't gotten the amount of playing time that they've needed to that point. Now, I don't think it's necessary now, but it will be necessary if there's an injury. And I like the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think they can go out there and have a really good regular season, win a couple rounds in the playoffs. I think they could be a legitimate contending team this year, but I worry. And I think around the trading deadline, they should think about maybe adding some veterans, whether it's trading some draft picks or some players that you you may believe a little bit more down the road and get some depth on that team. I think they need some veteran leadership coming off the bench. And they're going to have a hard time if a main player, mainly Anthony Edwards or Carl Anthony Towns, suffers a major injury. And you, you hope that injuries don't ever happen. You understand that they're part of the sport. But the other two teams I just mentioned, Indiana and Houston, they can deal with an injury or two because of the depth that they've built up. The Minnesota Timberwolves have not done that yet. As we jump into the Saving Sports History segment of the Passball Show, today is the 11th day of November 2023, so everything that I discuss and talk about right now will have some semblance or resignation residual effect on the date of 11-11. So in 1926, Eddie Collins, longtime second baseman, future MLB Hall of Famer, ends up being fired as the manager of the Chicago White Sox. He was a player manager for there for many years. They move on from him and they bring in former catcher Ray Schalk to be their manager. The reason this is is significant, Eddie Collins had already won one, two, three, four. World Series championships, three with the A's in 1910, 11, and 13, and 1917 with the Chicago White Sox. He ends up rejoining the Oakland, I'm sorry, the at the time Philadelphia Athletics, wins two more World Series championships, not as an integral player, but more as like a player coach. But for anybody in Major League Baseball history that never played for the Yankees, Eddie Collins has won more World Series. Six World Series championships, most of any player who never played for 
the Yankees. We jump in a DeLorean, crank it up to 88 miles an hour, and go to the year of 1944. The New York Hockey Rangers end, which is and will continue to be an NHL record for a winless streak. 0-21-4. That means 25 games they went without a win. They finally won a game. Who would have thought? That's uh, the streak that has never been touched or surmounted or passed when it comes to the National Hockey League. We jump over to the year of 1981, and it's all about Fernando Mania, one of the greatest uh, mid-to-late-season stories that we've seen in baseball history of somebody just joining a team, catching fire, and basically throwing it on their back. Fernando Valenzuela carried the Los Angeles Dodgers through the playoffs and to the World Series championship for a World Series championship, their first in what was it? What sixteen years? This is a player that ended up winning a Rookie of the Year, and on this day in 1981, won the Cy Young Award. 1982, Earl Weaver ends up retiring, and I use this in air quotes because Weaver would end up coming back to manage the Orioles for what the '85 and '86 season. But Earl Weaver retires, Joe Altabelli takes over, and the 1983 Baltimore Orioles win a World Series championship without Weaver. One of the more bizarre occurrences because Weaver, as a manager, I always felt had a very good influence on that squad. I think that team was good and really gave everything it got because of and kind of took on the personality of their manager he leaves and then they go and win a world series without him in 1983 so 1987 in in soccer world soccer we're talking about football striker mark hughes what does he do well he does something that had never been done before and may never be done again plays in two countries in the same day plays for wales in a 2 nothing loss to Czechoslovakia. And then later on, goes over to Munich, where he leads that team to a 3-2 win over Borussia. Pretty interesting, because if you listen or watch the Deion Sanders documentary, he was ridiculed and picked on and beat up over the fact that he chose to play two sports, two American sports, in the same day. Imagine somebody having the balls to play soccer, or any other sport for that matter, for two countries in the same day. It obviously didn't get the same type of ridicule that Sanders did, which I don't think he ever deserved. But if you look at Mark Hughes, that's a great accomplishment. He played for two countries, in two countries, professional soccer in the same day. So in 2000, this was kind of a very sad moment, 155 skiers and snowboarders were killed in a fire. And this happened in the Alpine Tunnel near Capron, Austria. Um, a very tragic event and probably one of the more, um, you know, not, you know, in addition to tragic, just uh, one of the largest amount of athletes that were ever killed in one particular day. Just an awful, awful event happened on this day in 2000. Uh, birthdays on this date, 1891, a Baseball Hall of Famer, and in my opinion, one of the least deserving Baseball Hall of Famers based off of merit. And that's 
Rabbit Marinville. Rabbit Marinville had a 230-something career batting average. He managed a little bit in the major leagues, but never distinguished himself, never won a ton of World Series championships. He was a good player, played a premium position in shortstop, and was kind of beloved by the Veterans Committee. Because of that, he was able to do the different things, kind of get that little preferential treatment, and was put in the Hall of Fame when he probably didn't belong. Now, I say this because I don't think any player that's in the Hall of Fame should ever be taken out. I don't think any player that's in the Hall of Fame should say, hey, or maybe said by me that they don't deserve to be in there. But you got the player with the most hits in baseball history, Pete Rose, not in the Hall of Fame. The player with the most home runs, both in a single season and all time, not in the Hall of Fame. The player in the world who hit the most home runs in baseball history, Sadahara O, is not in the Hall of Fame. You got Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Roger Clemens, um, Manny Ramirez, Rafael Palmaro, some of the most dynamic and successful baseball players based off of numbers and stats in the history of the sport that aren't part of the Hall of Fame, then I'm a little pissed off. So I'm going to take it out on the lesser deserving Hall of Famers. And while I said that it makes sense for Harold Baines to be in the Hall of Fame because why not? The other players, the most dominant players of those that era and those times are not allowed in the Hall of Fame. Somebody's got to be in. He comes in at the expense of Bonds and Clemens and Sosa and Palmaro and Rose and Joe Jackson and Sadahara O. Oh, all those players that deserve to be in and for whatever reason are not. So I think you could... Pick on a rabbit Marinville. A very minimal case could be made that he's a Hall of Famer. Certainly, you stack him up against the best shortstops in all time, and there, there's no contest. The other shortstops that are in there, Derek Jeter, Cal Ripken, they're better. Alex Rodriguez is better, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. Today, in 1899, Pi Trainer was born. Pi Trainer, a dominant infielder for the Pittsburgh Pirates for many, many years, Hall of Famer, and this is a Hall of Famer that belongs in there. Great career, pie trainer, Pittsburgh Pirates, born on this day in 1899, and one of, uh, one of the better influences on me as a sports talk personality, Warner Wolf was born on this day in 1937, and I keep the majority of my birthdays that, you know, when it comes to this day in sports history, two athletes and people that had an influence in sports. I probably don't host my own talk show. I probably don't flap my yap mouth if it wasn't for the opportunity to listen to Warner Wolf for all those years. Let's go to the videotape. Just one of the more influential figures in my life. And I, I would love the chance at some point to be able to tell him that. Warner Wolf, born on his day in 1937. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Alwish's Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, if you want to hear me flap my yacht mouth a little bit more, Past Ball Show is available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music. We'll be back with you soon. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. <laughs> Series. I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. I may come out as the biggest 
Major League Baseball manager apologist. That'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park. Not even supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside to hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if, if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You damn well right, better give him a contract extension. You damn well right, better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.